Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is The Death of Jesus. Mark 15, 33 to 39. So we're, we're getting to the end here. Those who have gone, been with us the last several years know that we're finally getting to the end of Mark and we're reaching the, the high water mark, the, the high point of the book. And today is communion also. We're going to be celebrating communion. And this is the perfect passage for communion. And I'm going to show a little video clip, clip called The Sounds of the Cross to kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about today.
the sounds of the cross. If anybody wants to see that again, you can. It'll be on our website and also the YouTube site, so you can watch that. Very, very powerful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We know each of us is here for a reason. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your mercy and grace and through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the passage, we're almost to the end of Mark. Mark 15, 33 to 39. I'll read it to you. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near the, heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to help take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Starting with verse 33. Powerful passage. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. So we have darkness at the, at the sixth hour. Back in Mark 15, 25, when we were in that section, we see that Jesus was crucified in the third hour, which was 9 a.m. The third hour, which was 9 a.m. Now we see here in verse 33 that darkness hits at the sixth hour, which is what time? 12 noon. 12 noon. And we see it also lasts here in the passage. It lasts until the ninth hour when Jesus dies, which is 3 p.m. So he's on the cross for six hours. The darkness goes from 12 noon to 3 p.m., which is three hours long of darkness. And in the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, some of you may have read this, he's talking about the crucifixion and he says, Critics often scoff at the biblical description of the earth growing dark after the Lord's death. Citing this as a proof that the Bible is inaccurate. They claim that no evidence exists for this phenomenon in extra-biblical historical writings. Yet in A.D. 52, the historian Thales referred to the darkness coming upon the earth the day Christ died. In addition, Tertullian describes the darkness as a cosmic or world event. The Greek author Phlegon describes the darkness as the eclipse of the sun at midday, so dark that the stars were visible. He also noted that there was an earthquake in Bithynia and many things were overturned in Nicaea. And we know in Matthew 27, Matthew records the earthquake and how severe that was. This is clearly a miracle. Clearly a miracle. It's not an eclipse, even though that's what the pagan author thought. An eclipse is not possible during the full moon of the Passover. In fact, this is a prophetic fulfillment of the Passover. This darkness is a prophetic fulfillment of the Passover, and now we have the ultimate Passover. And the first Passover, remember the ten plagues leading up to the Passover? Ten different plagues. The, the ninth plague was darkness. Darkness. That was the ninth plague. It was three days of darkness. Now remember this. Three days of darkness. It was followed by the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn in Egypt. Unless they were under the blood of the lamb. 
Remember they had to sprinkle the blood on the door, at the, head, at the top of the door, on the two sides, which is a picture of the cross. And anybody who was under the blood of the lamb did, wasn't killed, didn't die. And that's a picture of this. Here, darkness is followed. The darkness, the three hours of darkness, is followed by the death of God's firstborn. God's firstborn. It's all tied together, isn't it? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's one and only Son. It's followed by, the darkness is followed by the death of God's firstborn. And he was in the grave for three days. Three days. Jesus was in the grave. The world was dark, spiritually dark, for three days. The light of the world was extinguished for three days. Just like the darkness in, in Exodus, the three days of darkness, the same thing. And, and then it was followed by the death of Jesus Christ. And all who, all now, all now who are under the blood of Jesus Christ are spared God's wrath. Just like the ones that were under the blood of the Lamb on the door in the, in the shape of a cross, everybody who's under the blood of Christ now has put their faith in Jesus Christ now is spared God's wrath, is spared God's judgment. Just like the Egyptians weren't, they didn't put the blood over the door, they weren't spared, but those who did were today, those who are under the blood of Jesus Christ, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, will, are spared God's wrath and God's judgment. John three sixteen. and we're going to keep coming back to this, I hope you have it memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're spared that perishing, the eternal death, the eternal separation from God in hell someday. We're spared that through Jesus Christ. And the ultimate Passover lamb has died for our sins so that we could live. That's what communion is all about. Verse 34 to 35, back in Mark, he says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 35, when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. So Jesus is speaking here in Aramaic. That's what Jesus spoke and Jews mostly spoke at this time. His mouth is very dry. He's been hanging in the hot sun for six hours without a drink. Remember, he turned down the, the drugged wine. He's gasping for breath the entire time. Remember, we talked about this. The only way he could breathe is he had to push up on the nails in his feet and pull on the nails in his hand. It's the only way he could breathe. That was what the cross was planned that way by the Romans as a form of torture. That's the only way he could get a breath. And he's also savagely beaten. His face has been beaten. You think Rocky, you know, how Rocky talked after he took that beating, right? You can see why he was misunderstood when he says, Eloi, they, he's saying, my God, that's Aramaic, all right? He's saying, my God, my God. But they, they heard Elijah, and it's the same thing, Eloi, Jah. Um, Eloi is my God. Eloi, Jah would be Elijah. So they think he's calling for Elijah. Elijah means my God, my God is Jehovah. And Jesus just said Eli. 
He just did the first half of that, okay? Uh, they believed Elijah would come at the time of the, the Messiah, and, and he will, won't he? Remember we went through the book of Revelation, and Elijah is coming, but it's going to be at the second coming. He's going to make his appearance. But they know he's, Elijah's coming, and they think he's calling for him. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is a prophetic quote from Psalm 22.1. Psalm 22 describes the crucifixion in detail, a prophecy by King David hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified. And it starts off with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. And Jesus is quoting this verbatim. He's fulfilling a prophecy by, by quoting this passage here. In God's wrath, the reason he was forsaken is because God's wrath fell on Jesus Christ on the cross. His wrath fell on him. The communion that he had with the Father from all eternity was broken. That's what our sin did to him. That's what sin does. Sin breaks communion with God. It breaks our relationship. Even after we become a Christian, and when we sin, we, we hurt our fellowship. We break our communion. We have to confess our sins so that we can reestablish that communion. The same thing if you, with your family member or husband or wife or good friend. If you do something that hurts them, you have to go make it right to reestablish the fellowship, to reestablish the communion. And that's what sin does. You see, God created us, and he loves us. He created us, he loves us. He created us to have a loving relationship with him, but we chose sin. And, and, and we, because we chose sin, God is a holy and just God. He cannot have sin in his presence. And justice demands that sin is punished. It demands it. That's cosmic justice. But because he loves us, he allowed his son Jesus to voluntarily die in our place. He allowed his son Jesus to voluntarily die in our place to take our punishment. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, if we choose, we, can, we have to make that choice. We can now, because Jesus died in our place, we can now commune with God through Jesus. But we have to make that choice. We have to believe in him. We have to put our trust in him. But if we don't, if we choose sin, if we choose flesh, if we choose the world, if we choose our way, John 3.36 says, a few verses further says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Every one of us has to make that choice. And even after we become a Christian, we still have to make the choice. We have to daily choose. Are we going to choose fellowship with God, or are we going to choose sin, which breaks our fellowship? Are we going to, which breaks our communion? What are we going to choose? And that's the main reason. A lot of times we fight temptation. Well, I don't want to get caught, or I don't want this, or I don't want that. You know. But the, the main reason we fight temptation, the main reason we try to live a holy life, the main reason we live the way God calls us to live, which is the best way, 
is because we want to have communion with God. We want to be close to God. We want to be close to Jesus. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. Instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with the Spirit. That has to be our main motivation for living a holy life. Because once we're there, then we start to see victory. If we're just not doing something because we don't want to get caught or the consequences, that's part of it, you know. But, but really, it's because we want to stay close to God. And once that's our motive, once that's our main drive, that changes everything. It changes the whole reason why we're living for God. So, moving along here in Mark 15... Verses 36 to 37. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes, down, comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So we see Jesus taking a drink and we see Jesus' loud cry. To fully understand what just happened in these two verses, we have to go to John 19. And in John 19, 28 to 30, now remember what we just read, and now look at this passage and look how it fills out the full picture here. That's the thing. Use all four of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit led each of them to write for a different reason, but you put them all together, you get a full picture. In verse 28 it says, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And now we see the whole background to the drink and the loud cry. All his work on the cross at the ninth hour was completed except for one prophecy. You don't think Jesus was in control up there? So he says, I thirst. I am thirsty. And that's why they brought him the drink. And they gave him wine vinegar. It's a sour thirst quencher, cheap, poor man's Gatorade, really. And uh, he had refused the drug wine, as we, the, the drugged wine, as we saw, because he had to fully experience our suffering. But he asked for this one. And why would he ask for this one? Because he's f- knowing that it's something, one last prophecy on the cross has to be fulfilled. So there can be no doubt about who Jesus is. In Psalm 69, in Psalm 69, verses 19 to 21, it says this. Once again, a prophetic passage from David the Holy Spirit speaking to him about the crucifixion. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Once again, describing the crucifixion prophetically here. And we see that Jesus had to fulfill that. And then Mark tells us with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. Think of if you've ever run a marathon or a brutal race and you get to the end and it's like, yes, you know. Or you, you uh, have had a baby. I can't just relate to that, but you've had a baby and it's, <laughs> finally. Yeah. And, uh, or you're in a battle, you're fighting in a battle and you're overcoming an enemy and you've seen the movies, you know. You know, they, you know they, 
beat the last bad guy, and it's, ugh, you know, there's that groan of victory. This is what this, this picture is. This is a groan of victory. And Mark 19.30 tells us what he cried out. He said, it is finished. What is finished? The atonement. The atonement. The at-one-ment is finished. The word atonement, at-one-ment. They took three words and put it together to try to come up with the right, uh, the right meaning behind it. And the, the reason it, the atonement, the atonement is finished is because divine justice is satisfied. Divine cosmic justice, which we all believe in. Somebody cuts you off with a car or, or hits your car. What do you say? Oh, that's okay. I'll pay for it. No, you're going to have to pay for this. Your insurance is going to have to pay for this, right? If somebody steals something from you, and please catch the person, and, and they, uh, they catch the person, you say, that's okay. Let them keep the money. No, they give me that money back, and they got to go to jail. We all believe in justice. Whenever something's done to us, we believe in it. We just don't believe in it when it's God's justice. Well, you know God wouldn't do that. He'd let everybody do whatever they want. Now, that's just divine justice. We all believe in it, especially when it's done to us. And divine justice has to be satisfied. We all know this innately. We know it. And it was satisfied. We can now be at one with God again. Communion is now possible by faith. It's by faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word believe is the same exact word for faith. It means to put your complete trust in Jesus. And Mark gives us, we can now be at one with God again. Communion is now possible through faith. And Mark gives us a visible picture of and proof of this very thing. And when he... Look at verse 38. He gives us, the Holy Spirit lays it out perfectly for us. Right after this, he shows us a picture of it. Verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple was torn in half. It was, you think of this little curtain around the video. Listen, it was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. It was a big curtain. It was a barrier between all men and between God. Behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Think Indiana Jones. Remember the God lived in that Ark, you know? He doesn't live there anymore. But, but, but that, that's the picture that, that, that God's spirit rested in that location. And they, the Ark of the Covenant was there. That's where his spirit was. And because of our sin, no one could approach that ark. No one could approach holy God. There was a wall between us. There was a curtain, this thick curtain that we couldn't break through. And only one person was allowed to go through that curtain. Once a year, the high priest could go there on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. He could take the the blood of the lamb and sprinkle that blood on the atonement cover, the cover of the ark, and sprinkle that to make atonement. And it was a whole, once a year, it was a scary thing to do. In fact, did you know, they used to tie a rope to the high priest's leg. Because if there was any sin in his life, and you saw what happened to Aaron's sons, it could happen. They got roasted, toasted, right? And, and, they, and the high priest would go in there trembling. Did I confess everything? 
what, did I forget anything? <laughs> you better believe they're up all night praying, right? Because if God struck them dead, no one could go get the body. They would pull, the, pull them out by the rope. That was the, the idea behind the rope on his leg. It was an awesome, holy thing to approach this. And, but, but when he did that, he would sprinkle the blood on the atonement cover, and that was looking forward to the final sacrifice. That blood did nothing. It was just looking forward to the real blood of the Lamb. Now we, Jesus Christ has died for us. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world has died for us in our place. And because of that, the veil was torn from top to bottom. God down to man. We didn't do a thing. God did it. It was torn from top to bottom. And now we can all enter into God's presence we can do that now through faith. Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 10 it says this. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. That's the picture. Uh, verse 22, then he also says, let us then draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We can now come through that curtain, through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our entry. We can do this. And he then gives us, then the Holy Spirit gives us a visible picture of this. The veil is torn. We now have access. And the Holy Spirit, don't miss a thing here. The Holy Spirit gives us a visible picture that we now have access to God. Verse 39, right after the veil is torn. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion's faith, the first convert post-cross. The thief on the cross was on the cross. This is the first one, the first convert to Christ after the cross, right here. And remember, Mark is writing to who? The church in Rome. He's writing to mostly Gentiles. There were some Jews there too, Jewish Christians there. But he's writing to mostly the Gentiles, the church in Rome. And he's making a point with this Roman soldier. The Holy Spirit led him to record this event for a reason. He's making a point with this Roman soldier. The veil is torn. Not just the Jews can come into God's presence, but the Gentiles can go into God's presence. Everyone can go into God's presence. The veil is torn. The wall has, been, has come down. The way to God is open to all men, Jews first and then the Gentiles. It's open to us. Jesus died on the cross so that the veil could be ripped open, so that the wall could come down, so that we could have a relationship with God. That's why he died for us. Every one of us can have that relationship with God. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're hearing this today, and you've never come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're still living in fear of God. You should be. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, you should be afraid of God. We should all have fear of the Lord, right? Maybe you're living in fear of, 
of death. Maybe you're living a life of fear, but there is no need any longer to do that because Jesus has conquered death. In fact, in Hebrews 2, we've been looking at Hebrews a couple of times. In Hebrews 2, listen to what it says here. Powerful passage. I've had people tell me the only reason I was using drugs, the only reason I was doing this, the only reason I was doing all these things is I was afraid to die. I was just trying to dull the pain of my fear of death. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 2. He says, since the... Ch- uh, I'm going to pick it up in the middle here. Uh, well, since the children have have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, now get this, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We no longer have to fear anything, even death, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death is our victory. It's our victory. It is finished. It is finished. It's our victory over sin. It's our victory over Satan. It's our victory over the flesh. It's our victory over Satan's power in our life, the devil's power. It's our victory over fear. It is finished. We can have victory. If you're here today and you've never come to the cross in faith, you can have victory. You can have a new life in Jesus Christ. You can have a total connection with God as your Father by faith. By faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The word believe, the word faith, means to put your complete trust in, to give your life to. It's when we turn away from sin, we ask God to forgive our sin and say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. I put my faith in Jesus. To make me a new person. To wash me clean. To bring me into a relationship with you God. That's putting our faith in Jesus. Every person here can have that. Today. Maybe you already have that. Maybe you're already a Christian. That's awesome. But are we living our new life in Christ? This is the tricky part. Getting, becoming a Christian is big. It's huge. It's awesome. But then (laughs) we don't just get beamed up to heaven. There's a spiritual battle here. God's working on our life. It, it, it goes from, from salvation to sanctification, right? And he's working on us. And this is where we have to live by faith. Galatians 2.20, we've talked about this many times. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. We have to not just be saved by faith, but every day we live by faith. Living by faith. It's a whole different way of living. It's not by our own effort anymore. It's not by our own wisdom anymore. It's not by our own will anymore. It's totally trusting in God and and depending on Him to lead us step by step. Grab His hand. Hang on. Here we go, right? And are we connecting? The key is we have to be connecting with God on a daily basis. To live by faith, to really know what he wants, to get through the struggles in our life, we have to connect to God on a daily basis. Hebrews 4. We've been looking at Hebrews a lot. One last verse before we get into communion here. In Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Now here we go. We have our high priest. We have Jesus. Died for us. Rose again. He's in heaven for us. Then he says, 
Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God's throne with confidence, looking for that mercy, which is forgiveness, and grace, which is the help for our struggle. Think now, let's connect some dots here. Think about what you went through this last week. Anybody go through a struggle? Anybody go through a trial? Anybody battling a temptation? Anybody get a shock of your life? Anybody's life changed forever? You know what I'm talking about. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And this is the key. Communion. Communion. Communing with God. Coming to the throne of grace and asking for mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. All day, every day, not just every day, every hour, not just every hour, all day long, every minute, every second. Mercy and grace. Think about what you're going through. Instead of trying to carry that, instead of trying to do it on your own, instead of trying to make it, instead of trying to come up with the answers, instead of trying to mold the world to your, you know, make things happen the way you want them to happen, it's letting go and saying, God, mercy and grace. Mercy is the forgiveness and grace is the help to, to get through this. God, mercy and grace. Communion is a constant Need, but also constant privilege. And that's why we're celebrating communion today. It's a, re, it's a reminder. Once a month we do this, it's a reminder. What it is, we, we take the, the, the bread and, and the grape juice, the cup, and it's a reminder of the body that Jesus gave on the cross. It's the blood that he shed. It's a reminder of that. And it's a reminder how much we need him, how much we need that communion, how much we need that mercy and grace. How we take it, we just have, we're going to have some worship time. And whenever you're ready, we just have the table over here. You just walk up and get it and go back to your seat. You could take it by yourself with a, with a family member, with a friend. However you feel that, there's no right or wrong way to take communion. But there's two reasons why you shouldn't take communion. The Bible is very clear. And we aren't videotaping and taking attendance. Don't worry about that. It's just between you and God. But if you've never put your faith in Jesus, wait. Wait, because it's very important we don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, just wait. It's okay. But I hope that today you do that. I hope that today, before we finish the prayer, you have put your faith in Christ. The second reason is that there's a sin in our life that we won't surrender. Notice I didn't say sin in our life because we'd only have to have one wafer up here. And it wouldn't be for me, right? So uh, so, uh, somebody out there must have, yeah, but no sin. But... But it's something we won't surrender. It's something we say, no, God, you can't have this one. I'm hanging on to this one. Don't take it. But I hope that everyone here does. We open our hands and we say, God, I surrender. It's a struggle. It's hard. I know I'm going to keep on struggling. It's a battle. But I'm surrendering it again. I'm asking for your mercy and grace to help me fight this one. Let's pray. As we go to this time of communion, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved by faith. You've never come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus. You can't really commune with God yet because there's this big veil 
this big wall of sin between you and God, but it can come down right now. You can have a relationship with God as your father right now by putting your faith in Jesus. You can pray that prayer right now. It's a simple prayer of faith. God, please forgive my sin. Everything I've ever done against you or your word, I repent of that. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I know he died on the cross for me. In my place. I give my life to Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer to God from your heart, something amazing, dramatic has just happened, which you're going to be in for the shock of your life as you go out into, into the world again. The veil has been ripped You can now go into God's presence any time, for any reason. And the Holy Spirit is living in you, the same Holy Spirit that showed his power with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That same Holy Spirit is in you, and it's going to make you a brand new person. And you can commune with God any time. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've prayed that prayer and given your life to Jesus because we'll be excited for you and we can encourage you and help you in your new life. Maybe you came with a family member, a friend, let them know. Maybe you want to tell me on the way out, fill out the card and the bulletin, stick it in the box. Text, call. I love these calls and texts, emails. Let me know. Let somebody know. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how are we coming to the communion table today? Are we living by faith? We know we've been saved by faith, but are we really living by faith every second, depending on him? Really depending on him? Are we coming to God and communing with him on a regular basis? Continually, Are we seeking his mercy and grace? Even when things are going great, remembering to seek his mercy and grace for whatever we're facing. Father, we pray that this word and then this communion time would remind us once again how much we need you, how much you love us, And remind us of the impossible things that you can accomplish through us and in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.